Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April King, and I am the Associate Pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We would also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Thank you, Dolores, for reading those uh, scriptures. I would also like to say good morning and welcome to those that have uh, came here to uh, this church service this morning and also to those that are online. I believe and uh, know that God is in our midst, whether we're in this building or whether we're in our home watching this service. God knows all things. And God knew that each one of you that are here this morning would be here in this service. Maybe you didn't want to be here, but maybe you did. And, uh, you know, the amazing thing is, as uh, we were thinking, as, they, as the children were, were presenting about Palm Sunday, God knew even that day when he entered into Jerusalem that we would be here. It's an amazing thought to think about that. So let's just uh, bow our heads for prayer this morning to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to each of us today. So God, I thank you for this day. I thank you, God, that you are in our midst. You're in within us. And so God, I thank you for your spirit that you sent to be with us and in us. So God, I thank you for that. I thank you for this moment in time that uh, the world we're living in where there are difficulties and there's darkness, but Lord, you are the light of the world. You let us let your light shine that we may glorify you. So God, we just thank you for this moment in time. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So I want to talk a little bit about Palm Sunday. I know uh, Dave and April have already uh, covered that, but uh, I'll talk a little bit about that. And uh, But I really want to, I wanted to focus this morning on, on love and the love of God. You know, in, uh, when, uh, when Peter... So Peter was restored back, uh, you know, he, he denied Jesus three times, and then, uh, then Jesus asked him three other times, do you love me? And then in Acts chapter 2, it says that Peter addressed the crowd that was around them, and, and some of the things that are written that he said in that address to the crowd was, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people. He also said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And also, the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off for whom the Lord will call. So when Peter was addressing that crowd, he wasn't just saying, this is now for you. He was saying, for all those that are far off, which means you and I. So this is for us as well. So I just want to just 
look at the Palm Sunday for a few minutes before I get on to what love looks like in the world that we live in. So today is Palm Sunday. It always occurs on the Sunday before Easter. This celebration commemorates Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus entered the city knowing that he would be tried and crucified, and then he would be raised again on the third day from the dead to save us from our sins. It was his love for us that he went to Jerusalem. He took the beatings. He took the, the things that they did to him and ultimately his death on the cross. You know, the story goes that Jesus was walking into Jerusalem. He came from Jericho and they were walking into Jerusalem. But before he, long before he got to Jerusalem, he had came through Bethany and Bethage at the Mount of Olives. And uh, Jesus, this tells us that Jesus sent two of his disciples into one of the close towns and uh, villages to untie this colt and this donkey to, so that he could enter into Jerusalem. And we heard that as, as uh, Dave and April were talking about that, that he rode in on the colt of a donkey. And they were supposed to untie it. You know, we're not really very useful when we're tied up, are we? He had to be untied to be able to be useful for Jesus to enter into Jerusalem. And they were told that if anyone asks you about why you're untying this, this donkey, um, just tell them that the Lord needs us. You know, it's pretty amazing. We read through that and it looks like, oh, that's just a, that's not an ordinary thing. Jesus knew where that, that uh, colt was going to be. It wasn't, it wasn't a surprise to him. I, I mean, if I would have, if Jesus would have sent me somewhere and said, go to some place that, that there's a donkey there, I'd think, well, <laughs> how do you know that? But God is all-knowing, so he knew that. And so there was a crowd that had gathered as Jesus was ready to enter into Jerusalem. And uh, there's some of you have been to um, Israel. Uh, my wife and I were, were supposed to go there a few years ago, and it got canceled, and so we didn't go. But from what I read is that the, the Mount of Olives, where he rode down to across the Kindred Valley, and then into Jerusalem. And as he rode, they were, there were people that were throwing palm branches and their coats and cloaks on the road as he rode in. And, and the people were shouting and saying, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when Jesus had entered Jerusalem, after that, we know what happened, because we know what happens this week. We have that we have that uh, history that tells us that what all happened during that week. And uh, when he entered into Jerusalem, it says that he entered, it was late, and then he returned and went back to Bethany to live there, to sleep there the night with his 12 disciples. And Bethany was where um, Lazarus lived along with his sisters, Mary and Martha. So Palm Sunday actually begins the beginning of what some people refer to as Holy Week or the week of before Jesus is crucified. 
the proximate timeline for all these things that happened uh, the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry was that six days before the Passover, Jesus went to Bethany to where a dinner was given in his honor. It was the home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, as well as his sisters, Mary and Martha. So day one, which would be today in the timeline, is Palm Sunday. It's recorded this day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Then day two is on Monday. Jesus returns to Jerusalem, and among other things, he clears the temple. You can read all this in the scripture. Day three, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. So that's back across the Kindred Valley, and the Mount of Olives, and that's also where the, the Garden of Gethsemane is, is found close to the Mount of Olives, or on the side of the Mount of Olives. I haven't been there, but I know that's what it says according to history. And then on day four, on Wednesday, it doesn't really tell us what Jesus did that day. It's possible he rested. It's possible that he did teaching to the disciples. And then on day five, on Thursday, Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world and return to the Father. So he had the Passover meal, and as the meal was being finished, Jesus got up and did something very unusual. He washed his disciples' feet. That was not common for a teacher. It was for the servants to do, wash the feet, but he did that. And then after Jesus and his disciples, after that, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that is where Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And this is also where Jesus was arrested. We know that the joy and celebration of Palm Sunday is, is very short-lived. Jesus takes time in his teaching with his disciples about what lies ahead. They did not understand or comprehend all of that teaching and what it meant. And when we read in John chapters 13 through 19, it covers approximately only 24 to 36 hours of time. So when you read John chapter, starting with chapter 13 through 19, it is not a very long time in, in um, probably 24 to 36 hours. Chapter 13 tells us that Jesus knows his hour has come to leave this world. The Passover meal, also referred to as the Last Supper, was eaten. Jesus washes his disciples' feet, like I said, and Jesus predicts his, predicts his betrayal by Judas Iscariot and predicts Peter's denial. Jesus comforts his disciples in chapter 14 with words declaring he will come back again and take us to be with him. Jesus declares this also, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus continues by promising the Holy Spirit to be with us, to be in us, and to be on us. Before I read some of the things from chapter 15, verses 1 to 8, let's look back in the gospel according to John at some of the I am statements that are found there. 
The I am claims of Jesus are rooted in the Old Testament. John uses the name of God revealed to Moses at the burning bush at Mount Horeb. Moses saw that even though the bush was on fire, you read the story, even though it was on fire, it did not burn up. God spoke to Moses and said, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said, I am who I am. That is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses the same I am terminology. There are seven claims of Jesus in this Gospel of John. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And in John chapter 15, one to eight, I'm just gonna read that. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and I will be, it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So in that scripture it says, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So we all know that whether it's a grapevine or whether it's a tree, if you cut a branch off, it's not going to live. It needs to have the source of life to be able to live. And that's what Jesus is saying. If we want to be fruitful, we have to be connected to the main source. And Jesus is that source of life. Outside of that source, we cannot produce fruit, the spiritual fruit that we are called to. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus wants what God wants for us. He wants us to bear fruit. God wants us to bear fruit. 
And it is only by the Holy Spirit within us that that is possible. Well, what kind of fruit are we to bear? Have we asked that question? What kind of fruit should we bear? I think we're called to bear the fruit of Christian character, Christian conduct, and Christian converts. Our Christian character is based on the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 that Dolores read. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Love is vital, absolutely vital. And spiritually speaking, love is the key to the eight other fruits that are listed. If you have love, you will have joy. If you have love, you will have peace. If you have love, you will have patience. If love, you will have kindness. You will have goodness. If you have love, you will have faithfulness. If you have love, you'll be gentle. And if you have love, you'll be self-controlled. They are all closely connected. You know, a grapevine, there's a cluster. And I think that that would represent like love and all those other eight are connected very closely. You know what? This is not a pick and choose what you want to be, what you want to have. It's not, it's fruit, it's not fruits. This is a list of spiritual fruit that every believer should have, and the key is love. And this is only possible through our surrender to Jesus Christ. In a world that values toughness and proving yourself, those who have the fruit of the Spirit are to exhibit a calmness, a tenderness, a humility, which is not evident in the world around us. We are key to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who was the perfect example of humility and meekness. We're also called to bear the fruit of Christian conduct. And in Colossians 1, verses 10 and 11, it says, we are supposed to lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as we bear fruit in every good work. Christian character produces Christian conduct. And if we have the Holy Spirit living within us, then he will produce Christ-like conduct through us. When we have Christian character and Christian conduct, we should bear the fruit of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That's our calling. We know that the Holy Spirit must draw people, and we can and we will be used as messengers and ambassadors to share the hope and love of Jesus. You know, so many things are part of this scripture. He grafts us, he feeds us, he lifts us, he prunes us. So many important things to consider. This morning, the major point that I really want to talk about is love. Agape love, that Christian love. It was that love that carried Jesus in triumphantly into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It was the love that carried him through the week leading up to his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. It was this love that Jesus has for us when he gave up his earthly life for all of us. For all of us, Jesus gave up his life for us. We should do no less to love others in their faults 
the same way Jesus loves each of us in our faults. 1 John 4, 15 and 16 says this, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives, whoever lives in love lives in God, and God is in them. If God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. 1 Corinthians 13 that Dolores read is referred to the love chapter, and it makes it very clear that this makes it very clear that agape love is vital. It says that love never fails. The last verse says, and now remains these three, faith, hope, and love. All of them critical, but the greatest of these is love. The evidence of a spirit-filled life is love. You know, in the English language, we use the word love in so many different ways. We might say, I love God, or we might say, I love this kind of food, or we might say, I love our, my children or my grandchildren. Or we might say, we love our spouse. We use all those different ways of saying love, and, and language can be difficult. You know, I remember years ago when my in-laws, uh, Cleve and Margaret, sometimes they would say something in Pennsylvania Dutch. And we'd say, what's that mean? And sometimes they would say, there's not an English word for that. Anybody that can speak have, have had times where you cannot describe what, what it means. And so we have, so language can be interpreted in many ways. In the Greek language, there are at least four definitions of love. And 1 Corinthians 13 is the agape love. Agape is an empathetic love that is extended to everyone, family, friends, and strangers alike. Agape is a selfless love that is a pay-it-forward approach to love, where you show a universal kindness to others. In John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new command I give you. He said, a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? But what's this new command? Well, we know back in Leviticus, it said that, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Well, with this new command, Jesus is raising the bar. It's not only that we are to love our neighbor as ourself, because some days we don't love ourselves very well, so that kind of gives us an excuse to not love the way Jesus tells us to love. So he raises the bar and he says, we are to love our neighbor as he loves us. There's a big difference there. So we are to love each other the way Jesus loves us. And you know, when we, as a church, when we love each other, the world will know it, our neighbors will know it, and you and I will know it. 
He loves us with an everlasting love. We are living in a rapidly changing world. We need to encourage each other to remain faithful to our hope and our faith and our love in Jesus and our love for each other. I would encourage each one of us to spend much time in prayer and reading the Bible. Jesus is not our last hope. He is our only hope. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So let's not just say the words, but mean it by our actions, which will speak the truth. I came across something that I found interesting that I would like to share. If you really want to be like Jesus, be the one who stays when everyone else walks away. Be the one who forgives, even when it's undeserved. Be the one to show grace when everyone else is casting stones. Be the one to show love, even when they betray you, because that's who Jesus is. And you know, this is kind of a, a warning. Sometimes we get to the point where we can only think about ourselves. The things that we've endured, the wrongs that have been done against us. It's just not fair the things that have happened to us. We can get so self-focused on ourselves that we become blinded to the circumstances around us. Maybe we're focused on disappointments or that God has not answered our prayers in the way that we wanted them the way we have asked. And when we're only looking inward and all the things and all the wrongs that have happened, we especially in those times need to stop, reflect on what is happening, and shift our focus to do something for others. And how do we do that? We take the focus off of ourselves. You know, you can go checking on a friend or you can make a phone call or you can remember to pray for someone or visit someone or volunteer to help somewhere. There are many possibilities. One of the announcements this morning was a possibility to help. If some of these things are not possible to, to, to restrictions that you live with or you face, you can pray. Pray for all your family. Pray for our church family. Pray for leadership. Pray for the youth. Pray for the children. Pray for missionaries. Pray for countries that are persecuting believers. I get the Voice of the Martyrs booklet that probably some of you do, many of you do, and there is persecution going on in the world that is unbelievable. People are dying for their faith in Jesus. When you focus away from yourself and look for ways to help or encourage others, it changes things. It surely does. It changes things. 1 John 3, 13 to 18 says, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not remain in love remains in death. And anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. That's a hard statement. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? It says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let me say this as boldly and clearly as I can. As Christians, we are not made to fit into this world and its values. We're not. We're born to stand up for Jesus and his truth, no matter the consequences. And if we stand up for Jesus and speak his name, the world will hate you and it will hate me. And every Christian, period, you will be hated. And as time goes on, it's only going to get more difficult, I believe. Scripture says that. We are in the world, but not of the world. And the closer we get to the world, the farther we move away from God. You know, years ago, this is going back probably a long time, I was in voluntary service in Indianapolis. And I remember in the church there, there was a drawing. It was a picture of a globe about so big of the world. This world had a little hinge on the one side, and so it was opened up so that it was like this. So the world was open. And inside, there was a silhouette of a, of a person laying in there. And what it was representing was that if that closed down, it, it says, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. That has spoke to me hundreds of times of thinking what it's like to live in the world, but not of the world. It's recorded in Luke 6, 22 and 23, that Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of Jesus. Rejoice in that day and, re and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how your ancestors treated the prophets. And I want to be very blunt again. One of the problems that we have in the world today is technology. It's a blessing, but it's also a curse. It is all-consuming to many of us. We can't go anywhere without our phone in our hand. And if we send a text to someone, we expect it back just like that. And when they don't, when the message doesn't come back, what the world's going on? They're not responding. It is a problem in this world. It's all-consuming, like I said. And I think this also includes listening to the news. Well, you might say, well, I just want to be informed. Well, yes, okay. I, if I want to be informed, I'm, I'm going to continue reading the Bible, and I'm sure you are as well. I just recently saw something that I found interesting. I, it's it's kind of connected about uh, knowing what's going on. In 1988, there was an Illinois farmer. He was invited on to Johnny Carson. I never watched Johnny Carson hardly ever. That's a long time ago. I'm sure some of you young folks have no clue who he is, maybe. But Johnny Carson was a he was a pretty good interviewer. And uh, anyway, this this farmer, his name was Merritt Heston. 
and he was 97 at the time. And he was reportedly the oldest farmer, oldest active farmer still farming. He was born in 1891. That's a long time ago. But it doesn't seem so long ago for some of us. <laughs> and so Johnny asked him, what was the biggest change in, in, in your life that you have noticed on the farm? His response was, electricity. Now, any of us that are born in the 50s know that electricity was already available. But for him, electricity was the big deal. And then he said the second thing was rural mail delivery. So if you lived out in the country, I'm sure probably some of you that are here today did not have mail delivery maybe when you were, were young. He said that was, uh, that was an important thing because he said one day they received their mail and the, the uh, person that was delivering the mail said, hey, did you know that President William McKinley was assassinated? They had no clue and, uh, until they got the paper and on the paper it showed that the, the president was assassinated. But now, like, I mean, if you have your phone on, or on silent, hopefully, but if you have your phone on and something happened in the world somewhere today, you would already know it. And how many of those things do we really need to know? I was talking to a friend last night. Uh, some of the men at the Fight Club know, know him. His name is uh, Terry Fidel. He's, uh, he's been meeting with us at... Uh, Fight Club for almost uh, about three years, I think. So, anyway, he was t his uh, son lives in um, Nashville, and uh, he called and he said uh, they're pretty distraught there because uh, his son uh, worked at the school where those where those people were killed. Uh, he knew the um, the janitor that used to let him into the school. He's no longer there. He he and his wife are now counselors. He says it's been a tough week. He said uh, our neighbor is, uh, was uh, the parents of the little nine-year-old girl that was killed. But you know, the thing is, we know, we know that we can pray even if we don't know the details. And I, I guess my warning is, is that we can become so involved in the things of this world that we're distracted from what God would have us doing in these times and these days. Matthew 6, 24 says that you can't serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, which includes possessions and fame and status, or what is valued more than God. And in Revelation 3, to the church at Laodicea, they were neither hot nor cold, but they were lukewarm. My dear friends, we don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be all in for Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Do we have hope? I'm sure we do. Many of us do. But we need to do that with gentleness and respect. 
What is my hope? What is your hope? You know, we are a weaker body with unconfessed sin. And God is able to help us in our weakness. And one of the things I believe that we need to do, if you haven't done it, is to confess our sins and ask Jesus into our lives. If you have not surrendered to Jesus, whether you're here or whether you're online, we can make that choice to serve Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I don't know if anybody here is convicted about maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity right now, whether you're online or whether you're here, to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. If you're here or you're online and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you're sorry for the way you've lived, then just say this prayer with me, verbally or silently. Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I want to surrender my life to you. I'm sorry for the way I have lived. I believe you died for my sins. And by faith, I believe that through your death and resurrection, I am forgiven. I turn from my sins, and I ask that you come into my life as my Lord and as my Savior. And from this day forward, I will follow you with God's help. And I thank you for saving me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, make sure you tell somebody because the enemy will come to kill and steal and destroy. I said there was nothing to that. It was just all emotional. That's not true. Jesus can heal us. He can save us. He can forgive us. And finally, my dear brothers and sisters, it seems we're missing the mark in loving one another. Over the past three years, and even before that, we've not always shown love to each other. You know, that uh, agape love that I talked about earlier, that's extended to everyone. We've judged harshly, and for that we need to confess. If, if this doesn't apply to you, you can ask the Lord to convict someone else. Tolerance is not a de definition of love. It's not. We're called to love the way Jesus loves us. We don't always get it right. But if our focus is on the fruit of the Spirit with sincerity of heart, with God's help and with Holy Spirit as our helper, it will go much better. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I want to tell you right now, today, I want to confess before my brothers and sisters that I, that I am sorry 
and ask for forgiveness for not showing the love of Jesus. I have not always shown that agape love to you, my brothers and sisters. It may not have been evident, but I know what was in my heart, and it wasn't always right. But I know with joy that I am forgiven. I just want to ask you to forgive me as well. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I've had conversations with quite a few of you. So I know I'm not alone. If God is speaking to you right now, who will stand or raise their hand and say, I too need to confess? Anybody here want to stand or raise your hand to confess that you have not always done the right things? Like I said before, we're a weaker body with unconfessed sin, and God is able to help us in our weakness. So I would just like to close with a prayer. God, I thank you that you see our heart. And sometimes it doesn't look very good. But God, you are standing, willing, and ready to forgive us of our sins. God, I pray that this will be a moment in time that our church can grow, that we can see each other as brother and sister the way, Jesus, you see us, that you love us unconditionally. You are willing to, for us to, you're willing to love us no matter what comes our way. So God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you will be with this body of believers here at Zurich. And I pray for everyone that's online that if you are part of another body or you're part of this body, that you will touch the hearts and lives of each one of us. Lord, it's not always easy to confess but Lord, it's the right thing to do. And so God, I pray from this day forward that if there's anyone that needs to go to someone and personally confess, so be it. If this is, if we just need to stand here and recognize that we have not always done what we should have done. If we have stood against our brother or sister by not even showing it to him, but even speaking it. If we've spoken, um, if we've spoken in a way that is not loving. And Lord, I, I, I think that every one of us have done that. Every one of us have done that. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will just be with us. Lord, I pray from this day forward that we will show a greater love, not only to our brothers and sisters in this body, but also to our neighbors, to our friends, to those that don't see things eye to eye with us, that we don't just write them off as not being important, but that we show love to one another. And God, help us in these moments and these times. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you.